How does it sound? President-elect Joe Biden. Those are the words that many people have waited a long time to hear since the election on November 3rd. Donald Trump has not been gracious in defeat. He insisted, tweeting two hours before we record this, that he won the election by a lot. He hasn't won this election. He has picked up votes, though. So the question we're going to try and tackle in today's GNT, has Trump really lost it? You're listening to GNT, the podcast from political blog, The Groucho Tendency. Hello and welcome to GNT, the politics podcast from the Groucho Tendency. My name is Mike Indian. Slightly bleary-eyed, slightly sleepy, uh, <laughs> having had a very emotionally exhausting week. But I am very pleased to say I am joined by my usual sparring partner, the soothsayer of North London. It is, of course, Mr. Liam Kay. How are you, sir? I am not too bad, thank you. I am having a very enjoyable day with the news. Let's be honest. This this is this is this this election has managed to produce the rarest of things between you and me, which is something of a, a disagreement, hasn't it? About what the result actually means. We had to say that we don't often a take sides on the podcast, but also b end up on the opposite side of things because we tend to agree about most things. That's kind of why we we do this together. But we we have been quite intensely debating throughout the week on what's out the, the outcome of. Tuesday's election in America. You, you've you've been really kind of a t- across all of this for most of the week as well. So, can you give us the the news as it currently stands at six p.m. GMT midday over there in the states at the moment? Essentially, depending on whether or not your news organization of choice has actually called the states in question, but Joe Biden is on two hundred and ninety electoral votes. Mm-hmm. Um. Electoral courage vote, sorry, and is going to be the president in January. Yeah. We're still counting in a few states. You know, I think it might be a while till we have the full slate of results. But, you know, mm. Pennsylvania today tipped Joe Biden well over. Yeah, we're, uh, we're in t- it, almost into the Biden era. So Nevada has also called as well, it should be pointed out. Yes, Nevada has called. So to, to be clear, at the time, for most of the, the week since Tuesday, when Americans went to the polls, and the first thing we have to say is that some very good news, actually, I think, from certainly from those of us who are fans of a democratic process, there was record turnout, 120-year high turnout, two-thirds of the electorate came out, and Joe Biden has so far polled more votes than any other presidential candidate in history. And nearly 75 million, and Donald Trump has public, polled the second highest. And this is an election based on record high turnout for the US, which is something that they've traditionally struggled with. So I think we can all agree that is that is a good thing. Like, you know, more Americans turning out and voting this year, particularly with COVID. 100 to 101 million early ballots cast. That's that's gotta be a good thing, right? That that that's gotta give this election a greater sense of legitimacy than perhaps, say, five years ago when turnout was only about fifty-five percent. Well, yes. I agree. <laughs> That's good. Right, we agreed on that. So now on to the more contentious thing here. We had we had a, a private 
not a bet, but a sort of a guess what the electoral college outcome would be. And I won't explain the system to our listeners because there's numerous explainers online. But suffice to say that of the states that were remaining in play after Tuesday, Pennsylvania was the one that Joe Biden needed to win, that most commentators agreed that would have taken him, carried him to the White House really beyond the shadow of a doubt. Because obviously winning the popular vote nationally doesn't count. It's where you win that actually matters more. And the reason Trump won four years ago is because he carried states like Ohio, Pennsylvania, and essentially enabled him to build electoral college lead over Hillary Clinton despite her polling three million more votes. And Joe Biden has actually polled 11 million more votes than Hillary did four years ago. So, Liam, Pennsylvania was the state that he had to win. You've been saying this all week. For credit to you, you've been right about where these counties have uh, have been going in, the mail-in ballot skewing Democratic. How has Biden managed to clinch this election? Well, essentially, he has managed to clinch this election by making it a referendum on Donald Trump. That has worked out for him. It has perhaps not quite worked out as well as he'd hoped. I think the issue of having to run a campaign in a sort of election uh, like this is if you are going to put yourself as the sensible candidate, that does prevent you actually holding the rallies, doing a lot of the uh, sort of like on the ground campaigning that you would otherwise be doing. Um, of which I, I think has kind of dampened down the the ability to perhaps reach as many people, particularly communities that are perhaps slightly sort of like outside of the mainstream. Donald mm. Trump has managed to part of the reason that there's such a huge turnout is because Donald Trump has got so many people who don't normally vote, who don't normally participate in elections, to get involved, and mm. it has driven it a lot closer than perhaps Biden will feel that it could have been. Mm. You know, throughout, he has kept the line of being sort of, you know, the sensible choice. He has very much allowed the the president to completely mishandle the pandemic if he wants to. He's He's given Donald Trump a lot of rope and, you know, left him to do whatever he wanted to do with it. I, th- I, th- I think I think he's run... A good campaign. I think it certainly has been sort of slightly set off by the fact that there is the huge pandemic, but he has run the sort of campaign that you would expect Mm. sort of, you know, sensible politicians during a pandemic to run. One of the things that I found really intriguing about this election has been that it's been, as you said there, widely seen as a referendum on Donald Trump's presidency. And yet, this is the question, this goes back to the question I posed at the top of the podcast about whether Trump's really lost this election or not. Because last time round, he did win the presidency unexpectedly, but he did win it through the Electoral College. He won it by appealing to places in the so-called Blue Wall, sort of particularly the Midwestern states that had traditionally voted Democratic, and it was obviously states like the Rust Belt that had leaned towards him. The Democrats this time round plumped for Joe Biden, particularly in the wake of the pandemic. Things seemed to line up, but at the start of the year, Joe Biden's presidential campaign was by no means assured he was losing momentum, and it wasn't indeed until the South Carolina primary that he actually came through. And this is his third run at the presidency, and he's also the oldest man ever to have been elected to that office. So, whilst we can, I think. Many of us can, can can agree that he of the two individuals up on the ticket, we are glad that Joe Biden's come out on top. And if you look at the the media coverage, you know, if you're in cities like Pennsylvania or you know, out, indeed outside the White House in DC, Democratic leaning areas, people are going to be happy. How do you think the reaction is going to be in more Republican leaning areas to this? The areas that 
clearly Donald Trump has been able to pull more voters in as a result of uh, how whatever he's done over the last four years, despite the mistakes he's made. I think this very much depends on, with a country like the United States, it's so broad. It's just in the same way that like you can't guarantee how everybody will react to a Biden presidency who's a Democrat. Uh, it's not very easy to, uh, I suppose, like the view among sort of like blue collar white working classes, you know, the left behind will be very much that the person who got them to the got them out to the polls has been rejected by the country. However, if you are perhaps a a more traditional, more centrist Republican, you're probably thinking, you know, thank goodness for that. Let's see if we can try and steer the party back to what we think is, you know, a sense of normalcy. Um, you know, if you're mm. an evangelical voter, you probably think that last four years, you might not like the man, but he's 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 kind of achieved what you wanted him to achieve. And he has delivered on many key conservative platforms, not least of all putting, uh, cementing a conservative majority on the Supreme Court, which would allow them to move on a whole range of issues, not least of all Roe versus Wade and abortion rights. Yes. So, you know, the, it, I think there'll be mixed feelings. I think a lot of Republicans do like Trump, but I think there's a lot of Republicans that won't mourn his defeat. I think they'll mourn the party's no. defeats, not his departure. But, you know, this is very much, you know, what you're going to see, I think, in the next couple of years. But certainly now when you sort of see the responses to the election defeat and Trump's sort of repeated calls of, you know, the vote being rigged, of which there is, I should point out, absolutely no evidence. No, um, and no evidence has been presented by any of Donald Trump's lawyers, associates, himself, anyone in the Republican Party has actually provided any evidence as yet. But... You know, I th- I think I think you see the fact that some have come out and backed him. However, hmm. you know, the Murdoch press certainly seems to have decided to move on from Trump. Yes, and I think for the Republican Party, that might be a sign of certain levers working in the background. Now, I think they will be very concerned that they may end up with a Trump light figure who can't actually get the turnout that Donald Trump would have, which is partly down to his celebrity status, I feel. But, you know, somebody like, to pick a name, sort of Tom Cotton, I think, you know, as well as not particularly nice individual, from my my own opinion, you have to question, would somebody like him or somebody like Ted Cruz actually manage to get everybody to the polls in four years? I think, I think the Republicans, the Republicans are very certainly going to have time to reconsider or perhaps not reconsider but that the party stands on a bit of a crossroads you know does it become a full-on trumpist populist party or does it go to a more toned down conservative in the more traditional sense party it's it's, it's going to be interesting and you know the, the democrats have the same issue in many respects yeah, absolutely. you know but joe biden is 78 he'll be 82 at the next election I would be extremely surprised if he ran for another term at 82. It's not out of the question. Neither is Donald Trump running in 2024. And Trump would only be in his late 70s then as well. So He'd be the same age that Biden is now. 
is now, yeah, and the four years do make it. And it has to be said, actually, although we, for all the talk people have had over the last four years about Trump's supposed failing mental faculties, he has campaigned with an energy and vigor in this election that belies a man in his mid seventies. It has to be said, you know, and he has had COVID in return from it. No, no one could fault you could you could fault Donald Trump for many things, but you can't fault him for his energy as a campaigner. Whereas the Sleepy Joe label, it, it, although it's you know it's unhelpful and it's ageist, it does actually have a certain element of I know not truth to it but resonance because of the age of Joe Biden he's clearly passed his best as president and I think obviously we can't project forward to 2024 because we could barely project what was going to happen in this election but I think if Biden ends up does have end up having to run it it'll be because the Democratic Party is sort of fracturing in a way that hasn't been seen since what happened to Lyndon Johnson in the 1968 presidential election there with the different factions pulling each way because obviously Biden's degree of moderate politics hasn't been able to pull everyone in but it has been enough to clinch victory but neither is it going to be enough to dissuade those people who are sort of behind the AOC and Bernie Sanders wing and it's also there's also a problem that Nancy Pelosi although she's running for a fourth term as speaker the House of Representatives the Democrats have failed to take the Senate and they've also lost seats in the House as well at a time when they expected to pick them up and Pelosi's in her 80s anyway so she probably won't do more than one term more as speaker maybe and then there's the midterms to consider as well so there's a lot of moving parts in it and I think you're right about the existential threat that the Democrats face longer term because clearly the democrats are capable of of, as as the labor party is over here in the uk of piling up votes in the cities and places like california but are they actually capable of winning the states where like for example where they used to have a strong grip like pennsylvania like the like the rust belt these these were used to be democratic strongholds and now they are no longer I, i think i think there is a flip side to this though i mean i think what we are seeing similar to the uk in many respects is a quite significant demographic change in the US. I mean, like the last really, really major, I think, sort of switch was when in the 60s, a lot of the southern states decided to go Republican and civil rights made the Democrats palatable to sort of, you know, black and sort of like other ethnic minority communities Mm. across the US. I think what we are seeing, because, you know, we've we've had the issues in in the Rust Belt and there has Mm. been weakening of democratic popularity there. But at the same time, we have seen increases in the Sunbelt states. Georgia looks like it is going to go Democrat, which would be, frankly, astounding. I mean, the only person who's managed to win Georgia was a was Bill Clinton really in yeah. the Democrats in recent years who was a southern you know politician is a right the governor of Arkansas before he became president you know it it's like you know places like Michigan and Wisconsin you know Pennsylvania as well these these are places that have been hit by the loss of sort of manufacturing however mm. you look down at places like Arizona which has you know flipped democrat as well which Again, 10 years ago, hardline approach to immigration in Arizona. It was, you know, it is a proper, it it was a a sort of true red state. It was a Mm. sort of, you know, you you don't see Arizona going Democrat. Four years time, could we be saying the same about Texas? Mm. You know, Donald Trump got 52.2% of the the vote, 98% counting in texas biden got 46.4 six points behind probably suggests that they didn't have a chance it's down from nine points at the previous election and this is this is what i think a lot of the parties got to tackle with you know the republicans i think the florida results 
will be interesting for them, you know, where Latino voters took them over the top there. For the Democrats, I think that would be a sort of concern if that was sort of replicated elsewhere. But it appears that a lot of Latino voters in Arizona, Latino voters in right across sort of like the Mexican border are starting to sort of flip those states towards the Democrats. You know, I, th- I think we might be in for a, a slight recalibration where we all spend a lot of time worrying about what's going to happen in Ohio before it comes to an election. And it may well be that, you know, we spend a lot of time wondering what's actually going to be happening in the Georgia swing seat. Projecting forward four years, obviously, it's clear to me that we're seeing the, ch- the results of not just the pandemic, but also the changing demographics of America. It has been largely urban areas that have leaned towards Joe Biden with m- large mail-in, obviously large black turnouts as well in cities like Philadelphia and Atlanta that have helped him carry him over the line, certainly in Pennsylvania, whilst the rural areas have definitively leaned towards the Republicans. So that means that the the battleground for the for the future of the presidency, the net that second term for the Democrats or a first term Kamala Harris administration or the, the Republican nominee in four years' time is going to be the suburbs again. So which state should we be watching over the next few years to see what happens? What what does a Republican Party and a Democratic presidency need to do? to ensure that in 2024 they can ensure that second term and we're not going back to the seesawing things of the, stabi- the instability we saw in sort of the, the late 70s and uh, late 60s there? Well, I I, th- I think very much from a Democratic point of view, I mean, you know, they've got four years in the White House. I think mm. I think there does need to be a, a recalibration. I think there needs to be... I, does, I, I, think, I think Biden should certainly try to overturn as much as of what is damaging Donald Trump has passed. I'm thinking the Paris Agreement very, very prominently. But I do think there needs to be on both sides a recognition that yes, the you know, the the opposition they are your opponents for a reason, but there are cross border there are cross party issues that can be worked on. It is going to it's going to be a tricky few years if those two runoffs in Georgia do not come through for the for the Democrats. Um I think they will most probably have to look to the sort of you know, the twenty um not the twenty eight, the twenty twenty two midterms. And the US is certainly in a very difficult position in that I think quite a lot of radical change is needed. The country is you know, prevented from doing so from essentially a uh, 18th century piece of paper a lot of the times. But people on both sides have to recognise that at the moment, the status quo no, is not working for anybody. It's not working for P- Trump voters. It is not working for Democrats. It's not working for black communities. It's not working for Latino communities. not white, working for white working class communities. And I'm not overly sure that a country that continues to have a political system that is so difficult to actually pass any sort of meaningful change through over a long period is going to sort of you know be able to survive in that form unless there is some sort of change needed for that you would need the republicans on board 
I think you would def- almost certainly need something more cross-party. But the ways of doing that would be incredibly, incredibly difficult with such an ingrained sort of, you know, political culture in the US. I think certainly, you know, the Democrats have to be seen to make good on some of their promises. You look at the the big things of this year has been obviously the pandemic. But, you know, putting that to one side, if you can, <laughs> climate change and the Black Lives Matters protests. And there has to be a concerted effort to at least make tangible progress on both of those two issues. If the Democrats are to be, if the next four years are to be successful and if the Democrats are to go into the 2024 election, being able to point to, you know, you know genuine improvements. You know, this is this is this is the best way of getting voters on side is to have have a track record. The Republicans, again, it very much depends on what happens now that the jostling starts. Uh, it very Nikki, much... Nikki Haley's already out of the gate, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, and I would expect there's quite a few others who do. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Trump possibly running again or a... Which you can do. You know, you are entitled to do that. If you'd have non-consecutive terms, you can run again. Yes, I could. I could see that being tempting to him. However, you know, there's there's also the possibility of a of a Trump family member, either Don Jr. Jr. Yeah, I think Don Jr. has been very very quick out the the gate to be the p the the choice of family member. But um, Ivanka Mm. was the one that was probably doing a lot more actual policy work. So um, it's. And, you know, I think part of it may also feed into the sort of like the Trump ego would be that his daughter is the first female president of the United States. So, I mean, yeah. but, you know, there's this. I mean, I think I think there's a few interesting things of whether or not the vice president also decides to throw his hat into the ring. He's certainly somebody who um, Mike pants. Yeah. You know, you almost get the sense that he thinks God has chosen him to be vice president. Uh, Maybe he thinks God owes him a favour after the the last four years as well of having to be Donald Trump's VP. Mm. We're getting getting very close to time, so there's just two things I want to quickly talk to you about before we wrap up. The first one is about what Trump does next, because obviously there's two questions. One, I don't think we can can be sure that Biden will be sworn in on the 20th of January next year. Yeah, most people agree that... That is, Trump's term expires. We can't expect Trump to go with any degree of grace, though. I mean, he's tweeted to us before that he clearly won the election. He's also not going to behave like any former president in history. There isn't going to be that kind of silence, that sort of dignified silence that, you know, people like George W. Bush or Obama have observed about their successes or Bill Clinton or Jimmy Carter or George Walker Bush. What does a former President Trump do now? How does he behave? And the second question is quickly, because we're obviously a UK podcast, what does Biden's election mean for the relationship with the UK and particularly the trade deal that the government wants to strike with them as well? Because Boris Johnson has already tweeted his congratulations as well. But is this is a Biden election going to be met with cheers or groans in Downing Street? To tackle the first one, I don't think Trump's going to go away. He's a celebrity. By trade, so I, I think he will almost certainly leverage that for his, his his own ends. I think you can expect him to be very very vocal on things that the Democrats do. I think you can also expect him to be incredibly vocal on what happens with the Republican Party afterwards. I would also there were rumours that prior to the 
to the 2016 election that Trump was keen to set up a sort of alternative news channel in the US. Trump TV. Yes. <laughs> I could see that certainly being something that he thinks is a good mouthpiece slash platform for him to take into you know, either a potential run or for one of his children children's potential runs future elections so I, I don't think it's the last we've heard of him sadly no in terms of downing street i think very much the tories donald trump was don't think popular is the right word i think i think he was appreciated in the conservative party um mm. I think downing street got a all of a sudden a uh monday meeting with the eu has happened i wouldn't not be surprised at all if a deal is agreed with the EU very soon. Um, yeah. There was, you know, considerable rumours that Downing Street was waiting to see what the outcome of the US election is. In terms of a trade deal with the US, Joe Biden, I don't think is somebody who's like massively keen either way on it. I think his no. position has always been that the Good Friday Agreement must be upheld. He's yeah. a very passionate supporter of the Good Friday Agreement. If the UK government does anything that undermines it, I think that would damage the relationship. However, yeah. I think Downing Street is well aware of that and will probably will probably find these things won't be an issue and that a a trade deal will be pursued in, you know, good time. And we have to remember there's also going to be a deadlocked Congress, most likely as well, with the, the narrower Democratic majority in the House and the Republicans retaining control of the Senate, certainly if they yeah, depending on Georgia's runoffs, but we could expect that the Democrats at least will only have narrow control of the Senate at most. Unlike Donald Trump, we actually are going to know when to leave. Liam, thank you very much for assembling at short notice to talk to me. No problem. I suspect we'll be, we'll be back very soon as, you know, this is the first of our lockdown specials. Probably be back to talk more about Biden and also about what's happening with the EU trade deal very soon. The Groucho tendency is www.thegroucho.uk. You can check out my article from last week about Jeremy Corbyn being suspended from the Labour Party. Doesn't that seem so terribly parochial now compared to what we've been talking about i'm at mike underscore indian on twitter liam is at liam k please do follow us both to follow some more insights i believe liam you did a rather interesting piece of some pollsters about uh, the u.s election as well for in another role i i i have i've been uh, sort of uh, speaking to u.s pollsters gauging their views on why the results perhaps weren't the blue wave that was predicted beforehand i can I can. I. I, I have yes. mentioned one or two little points, but I will. I will let you read the article if you're interested. The article is very good. Please do check it out. It's on Research Live. And I had to end by on a slightly smug note to say that I did call the Electoral College vote correctly. I did say Biden would get nearly 310. Liam, you said 350, I believe. So I think 351. that's chalked up. 351 yeah. and I said 310 to 220. So hopefully I will be closer on that thank you very much for listening guys look after yourselves it's an extraordinary time we live in but as ever it's always a pleasure to follow it and to have you listening thanks very much and we'll see you next time 